What gives you confidence? Uh, what gives you confidence in others and what gives you confidence in yourself? What is it that will take your confidence level to high, to right up the end? Well, if you look at the television and watch ads, you can see that our advertising people go hard at this, don't they? They try and work hard to get your confidence level up so that you'll trust and buy their products. They'll do things like have a person standing there with a lab coat on, uh, saying that this is something that has been tested. Or they'll have someone give a testimony. Uh, they'll speak as though they are, this is what they've done. And then at the end you'll see an actor was paid to do this. Uh, they'll have research that will be there. They'll list things to show what it is and what they've done so that you have confidence in what they're selling and you'll have confidence to use it. How's your confidence in God? Do you have any confidence in God? Well, that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning uh, because we're going to hear Paul's personal testimony uh, from the book of Philippians. Uh, he's not a paid actor. He's real, he was there, and he's going to give his personal testimony about his confidence in God for his past, for his present, and for his future. And we're going to look at that today, and remember I'm going to encourage you to pick one verse out of this to memorise, so keep that in mind as we read it this morning. And keep in mind as we read through this passage uh, where Paul's confidence is and what that looks like in his life. So where Paul's confidence is and what it looks like in his life. Uh, Betty's going to come up and she's going to read it for us. It's Philippians chapter 1, not 2, as you'll see on the back of your service sheet. Uh, it's still 12 to 26. I just typed in a 2 rather than a 1. So cross it out, put a 1. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 26. Oh, there you go. Chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. And Betty's going to read that for us. Paul's chains advance the gospel. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace of guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed 
but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Oh, that was a long one. <laughs> Thanks, Betty. Well, you gave us next week's as well, so that was a bonus. <laughs> it's always great to hear Betty's voice, isn't it? And particularly when uh, she's giving us God's word, which is even better. Uh, great words in there. There's a, a, it's a great passage and a challenging passage, and uh, there'll be plenty of stuff there you could get for your own memory verse. But uh, have a think about that as we go through. Well, who can tell us where Paul is at the moment? Where do you think he is? He's in Rome, and what's he doing in Rome? He's in jail, isn't he? He's in chains. Uh, if you look at there in verse 13, as a result has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So what we believe is Paul is in Rome, and at this point in time he's in house arrest, in a house in Rome, and he's in chains. And what he means by being in chains is he's actually chained directly to another person. Uh, he's chained to the palace guard or the praetorium is another word that's used for that. Uh, and the palace guard were the best trained, the, well, the ones who looked after and protected the king or the Caesar, as it was in Rome, in the palace. And so what Paul was, was 24-7, he wasn't chained to a bed or to the ground, he was actually chained to someone else, to one of the palace guard. 24-7. So he had to sleep, chained to a guard. He had to wake up, chained to a guard. He had to go to the toilet, chained to a guard. He had to wash, chained to a guard. 24-7, he was chained to a guard. That's pretty close, isn't it? And the amazing thing is that there he is. He's chained to the guard. And in the middle of all that, he's not annoyed, is he? You see, I think Paul, if you read through Acts 16, which is about the comparable part of learning the history of what's happening to him, you know that Paul wanted to go to Rome. And you know that Paul wanted to go to Rome to be free 
to go and speak to people in Rome about Jesus. But Paul doesn't get to Rome by himself, does he? Paul gets to Rome, and when he gets to Rome, he's chained. He's in jail. Uh, he, he's tied up. He, he can't roam the city free. He can't go and do things in the city free. He can't go out and preach in the city free. But he's chained. You think, what's going on here? That's not the way it's supposed to be. But Paul doesn't do that, doesn't? Paul doesn't say, oh, this is terrible. This is the worst thing that could have happened to me. Paul doesn't say I was a kangaroo court and I was stuck in here when I shouldn't have been. Paul says that all of this has happened for the advancement of the gospel. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, I am here where I am actually serve the advance of the gospel. Actually, this is the best place for me to be. I thought I was going to come to Rome and be free and walk around the streets, but no, I was sent to jail, I was put in a boat, I was sent across as a prisoner to go to Rome, and then when I got to Rome, I'm chained to these people, this guard for the whole time. Completely out of whack, isn't it? You think, no, that can't be good. But Paul actually says, no, this is where God wanted me to be because this serves to advance the good news of Jesus so that people can get to know Jesus. That's what it means, the advancement of the gospel. So people get to know Jesus and love Jesus and go to live for Jesus. That's what's happening here. Paul's saying this is happening better than I possibly could have imagined. You see what happens to him? Uh, the Praetorium Guard, there in verse, the one before that I've just highlighted, that's amazing, you see, because Paul would probably never have been able to get into the palace, into see Caesar. But in God's plan for it, the palace came to him. He had people, the guards, who were the special guards, come to him. They would then go back into the palace. They would go back into the palace and then say, he says that it's been known through the whole palace guard why I'm here. It's because of Jesus. Caesar would have got to know that he's there because of Jesus. Everyone in the palace would have got to know that he was there for Jesus because Paul was telling the most important guards in the whole place that it's all about Jesus. I don't know whether you know church history and I can't draw the line from this to when it happens, but Constantine in about 300 uh, AD after Jesus died, around that time, becomes a Christian and turns the whole Roman Empire Christian. I wonder whether this was the start. Paul, chained, on his way to death. He's on death row, as we're going to hear about later. God uses that to do amazing stuff. Have you ever felt that yourself? You've been thinking, oh, I'm doing what God wants me to do, and then suddenly, bang, shunk, off you go in a completely different direction. And suddenly stuff that you thought was going to be going well, bang, things get knocked out from under you, the, the carpet's been ripped out from you, and you think, oh man, what is going on here? Well, Paul says that it can serve the advancement of the gospel. But actually what's happened to you, you may not think that it's good for you, but ultimately it's good for the gospel, and ultimately it'll be good for you. You see, not only are the palace getting to hear about Jesus, but what's happening on the street 
is that people are more bold to speak about Jesus. Look at verse 14. And because of my change, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. That's a big call, isn't it? Often we think if it's our leader is chucked in jail, then that might have thrown everyone into chaos and it would have been the worst thing that could have ever happened to the cause of Jesus. And Paul's saying, no, 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 this has actually been the best thing that happened to us. They're out there actually, they're, they're out on the streets. The believers are out there. They're telling people about Jesus and they're doing it without fear. It's given them confidence to go out and do that. Because Paul has confidence that God has got it, that God is in control, and God is ultimately wanting more and more people to get to know Jesus. And every circumstance and situation that we're placed in is an opportunity for that. That's a real encouragement, isn't it, in the middle of what you're going through at the moment. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's happened to you in the last little while. Obviously, I know some of you, and I know some of the stuff that's going on in your lives. But this is the great encouragement, isn't it? doesn't take away the fact that it's hard doesn't remove that I'm sure Paul is finding it tough in jail physically but underneath he has this great confidence and joy that what he's going through at the moment will serve to the advancement of Jesus you see sometimes obstacles come our way don't they brick walls uh, look like they're up in front of us but God will place a ladder and that ladder is there so that people will get to know Jesus. Some of you probably know uh, what's been happening in India, uh, and I'll tell you about it in just a second, but one of the things that I think we can take out of this, isn't it, that Paul knows that there are no accidents in God's plan, but only divine appointments. There's no accidents in God's plan, there's only divine appointments. He's actually got you there and placed you there the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of Jesus for others and the advancement of Jesus in you. That gives us that confidence, doesn't it? In the middle of the desperation that were around us, it gives us a sense that God is doing something. He hasn't left us. He's with us within it and growing us within it. As I said, we've been talking about India, haven't we, over the last compassion's been in India for 50-odd years or more. And they had to leave. And uh, we prayed that that wouldn't happen, but that didn't, it did happen. And in praying for that to happen, I'm sure I was feeling, I don't know about you, whether you've been praying about it, I was feeling this could be devastating for the good news of Jesus in that country. Well, the stories we're getting out of India now and out of the people that have been in compassion is that the locals have been raised up, the locals have taken it on, and the locals are running with it and the good news of Jesus is going further than we can possibly imagine. It's amazing, isn't it? It's a praise God moment, isn't it? In all of that. It doesn't mean that our prayers were wasted back then and that they were what we want to do and that was our great desire, but in that God had a better plan than all of us possibly could have imagined. And it's the same for you and I. Woo. What did I do there? You see, Paul is saying, in even just these first couple of verses, 
in the circumstances and situations that he's in, that he can live with God confidence. Because he knows God's got it. And even in the worst of circumstances, God is still at work and still moving forward and still with you within all of that for the advancement of Jesus for others and for you. Such a great confidence we can have, isn't it? So God, Paul looks back and he sees that he is where he is. He's been where he is because God had it sorted. He was in it there. And now he looks at his present and he sees that God has it here as well. And in his present, in verses 15 to 18, you see that there are two groups of people. One group of people who are preaching the gospel to get Paul into trouble. One group of people that are preaching about the gospel and Jesus to be on the same side as Paul. Two types of people. One trying to make Paul look terrible in one sense, but yet still speaking about Jesus. One people on the side of Paul and still speaking about Jesus. Two people, two completely different people, but actually with one common end. You see, there are two types of people in the world, aren't there? There are those that have their toilet roll running to the front and those that have their toilet roll running to the back. Now, that has been a major discussion point throughout the world at the moment. Uh, it's all across Facebook. There's theories about all these sorts of things and it's pretty clear that you've got to have it from the front. Okay, whatever you think. No, that's up to you to decide that. But in one sense, there's been this big discussion of two people in the world. Everyone needs it, everyone uses it. And in the end, ultimately, the end is what's most important, isn't it? It doesn't, yeah, that's right. I left it ambiguous for a reason. It's, the, it's that, isn't it? It doesn't matter really whether it's to the front or the back. Can I tell you that the front is better? But it doesn't really matter. So ultimately that the job is done. Paul is saying that actually that's the case here with the gospel too. If people are preaching about Jesus and maybe not doing it for the right motives, but Jesus is being proclaimed, then he's okay with that. If people are proclaiming Jesus for the good reasons and for the right reasons, if Jesus is being proclaimed, then he's good with that too. Because you see, Paul is saying it's not about him. It's not about whether he's got a good name out of this or whether he has a worse or better time in jail or not. It's not whether it makes it good or bad for him. It's ultimately what is most important is that Jesus is proclaimed and people hear about him throughout the world. I saw this. Listen carefully. Not everything is about you. Darn! Thought it was, wasn't it? The last 30 or 40 years, we've grown up in a world that has said the complete opposite. It's all about you. Everything's about you. It's about your self-esteem. It's about how good you are. It's about how wonderful you are. You get certificates for the fact of turning up at school these days, let alone doing anything else. <coughs> Smile nicely at the teacher and you get a star on the board. It's great, isn't it? Say please and thank you. You get two stars on the board. It's wonderful. Because it? it's all about you. It's all about you. And that breeds a sense of self-entitlement and it's flooded into us, guys. It's flooded into us in the Christian church as well because we've had the gospel preached. It's about us all the time. Haven't we? It's about self-improvement gospel. It's about the prosperity gospel. It's about what you can get and what it's all about you. It's not all about us at all. 
And we're going to be sadly disappointed if we keep preaching that and keep thinking that. Because we get to jail and we'll throw up our hands and say, God has forgotten us. I'm being persecuted. I'm under the hammer. Everything's not going right for me. God's forgotten me. I don't have enough faith. It's garbage. I could say even tougher things about it. But this is what it is. It's all about you, Jesus. That's what Paul tells us in this passage, doesn't it? It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. Now within that, that makes a huge difference to who we are and how we operate and how we live. But it's not about us seeking for our own self, it's seeking for the glory of Jesus and how good he is. And so the people get to hear that and know that and people get to understand that. And people come to love him as well. They put him first and foremost. That's what Paul's saying here, isn't it? In the present, in the past, it's all about Jesus. All about him. That changes perspective, doesn't it? That changes perspective. I read during the week that uh, someone says that Paul rests his head on the pillow of God's sovereignty every night and he sleeps well. Man, I search for that pillow sometimes. He rests his head on the fact that God has got it all sorted every night. You see, that's Paul's confidence, isn't it? Paul's confidence in the past and the present and we'll see in the future is that God has got it all sorted and it's all about Jesus. And when we can rest in that, then we can say like Paul does that he rejoices. And he says it twice. He says, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I rejoice because I see what God's done in the past. I'm rejoicing because I can see what God's doing now. And I'm going to rejoice in the future because we're going to get to that. He has great joy. He has a deep-seated joy because he has confidence in his God. Joy is the settled confidence that God has it. Man, we need to hear that, don't we? I reckon we could tell each other that every morning we wake up. I'm getting up, I'm going, God, you've got it, and I'm looking forward to be part of it. Before we go to bed, Lord, you've got it. Switch my brain off. I know, no, I don't need to, I don't need to have that anxiety, I don't need to have that worry, I don't need it. you've got it. And I say there's moments I don't have it. There's moments I search for that pillow that Paul has. But the wonderful news about the gospel is that it, it, it is possible, isn't it? Paul has seen it here, he's seen it in the past, he's seen it in the present, he's about to see it in the future, and he has that deep-seated joy because he knows God's got he trusts it. He lives with God confidence. How are we going with that? Well, I pray before we get to the end of the day that it'll grow stronger for you and you'll have that deep-seated joy as well. But Paul says it hasn't finished yet, has it? He's, he's got a, the next couple of verses are the ones that just blow me out of the water. Uh, look what he says next. 
uh, Philippians 1 verses 20 to 21. It says, According to my earnest expectations and my hope uh, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be exalted or magnified in my body, whether it be life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's a couple of verses you could just hang them together, couldn't you, and hold on to those ones. And it, it, Paul's seen the past, he's seen God at work, he's seen God at the moment, he's got his confidence in that, he knows it's all about Jesus, and so he says for him right here and now, what is best, what is most important, what I desire out of everything is that my life magnifies and points to Jesus in everything. That Jesus is exalted out of who I am and how I live. That's what he desires, doesn't he? You see, he wants his light to be a spotlight on Jesus. We don't look at the spotlights, do we? We look at what they're shining to. On uh, Monday morning at Anzac service, it was uh, 5 o'clock. It was pretty dark. Uh, for those of us that were down there, uh, you would have seen a couple of spotlights that were around. And those spotlights were highlighting what was most significant and most important of that morning. And they weren't on me and they weren't on Rod Hatcher or they weren't on the people who were leading the actual service down there. They were on the cenotaph and the flag. That's what was highlighted because that's what we were thinking about. That's what we were being pointed to. That is what our lives are to be. Our lives are to be spotlights to Jesus. Not back at ourselves, but to him and how wonderful he is. It's a challenge, isn't it? Because we're in a world of self-promotion, aren't we? How often are our conversations about ourselves, what we've done, what we've achieved, things that we've been on about? And don't get me wrong, some of those things are great, but in the end... Nothing compares to the glory of Jesus and how wonderful he is. Because none of us have been with God and come to this earth, lived amongst the brokenness of this earth, lived it perfectly, gone to the cross, been nailed to the cross, taken all God's wrath and anger on them, experienced the anger of God and the punishment of God upon themselves, taken all that condemnation, died and been separated from his father that he was with from all eternity and then rose again so that we could have life. None of us have done that. Only Jesus has. So our lives are to project to him and how wonderful he is, both in what we say and what we do. I encourage you to be spotlights, guys. Spotlights to Jesus and how great he is. And then we can have the confidence in that to say what Paul says, doesn't he? He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. That, you want to take that and contemplate that for a little while. He's actually saying, you know, he's actually saying that to die is what's best for him. Now he's sitting in chains and he's on death row because he's, that's where he's heading. And he can confidently say that actually I would be better off dead. And that's not because he's in pain. 
or because the circumstances is bad for him, but it's because he's going to meet Jesus. We haven't heard those saying. You say, oh, how are you going today? He says, yeah, I'm going great. Uh, I'm better off. Uh, I'm so much better now that I'm above ground. Or they say, oh, yeah, how are you going today? Yeah, I'm great. At least I'm not six foot under pushing up daisies. You see, I think in this world we have deified this life. We have made this heaven in our eyes. Or we've made this all that there is. And as soon as you live and have only this, then you live for this, don't you? And it drives you to live quite selfishly because it's just about you and what you can get out of it. But if there is an eternity in perfection, with Jesus then that changes everything so I read this this week it says no one is ready to live until they are ready to die it's a good quote to contemplate isn't it no one is ready to live until they're ready to die because you see all of us our destiny determines our present our destiny determines our present what you think is the end of your life determines how you're going to live your life now. We know there's something far better for us. It definitely drives us differently to live now, doesn't it? And Paul says to live now is to live for Christ. That's what life is now. And he says, even though it's far better for me to die and to be with Jesus, at the moment it's best that I am here for you. You see, to live for Christ is to have a life that magnifies Christ, but it is a life that encourages others to know Jesus and to magnify Jesus. That's what's best for us here and now. That's what Paul says is best for him now. Look at verse 24. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I remain. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Jesus will abound on account of me. I'm going to stay here so that you can say how great Jesus is. That's what he wants people to do, doesn't he? That's what he's going to be here to do. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's going to encourage to do. He's chained to a Praetorian guard, but he still wants other people to praise Jesus. He doesn't want them to... He doesn't, he doesn't say, get me out of jail. He doesn't say, remove the chains. He doesn't say... He, doesn't, he says, I just want to have live a life that encourages you to live for Jesus as well. That's what he wants for all of us that we live lives that are seeking to see other people magnify Jesus and say how great Jesus is. Can I encourage you in that? Can I encourage you to think about how you're doing that? What we're going to be doing this term as well as getting you to learn the Bible is I want to encourage you to read the Bible with someone. Just read the Bible. little tagline for this, this term. Just read the Bible. Don't try to do anything fancy or, you know, sit down and read the Bible with someone this term. Maybe it's someone who knows Jesus and encourage them to know Jesus more. Maybe it's someone who doesn't know Jesus yet and you'd like them to. Just read the Bible with them. You know, sometimes I think we're, uh, not that we're on about this, but in different places there's always special ways to do evangelism, all these special ways get people to come to know Jesus 
But you know, the most powerful way for anyone to come to know Jesus is for them to sit and read the Bible. John's testimony a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? That's where the power is. It's in God's Word. And I think sometimes we've been scared because we think we don't know how to do that or what to do that. I'm going to encourage you that at the Growth Group Encouragement Night this term. I'm going to sit down and we're just going to help us think through how we can read the Bible with someone. Nothing flash, nothing particular. You don't have to be overly gifted in anything here. All you need to do is be able to open up the Bible, sit down and read it with somebody. Let the Bible do the talking. Because the Bible is all about Jesus and magnifies Jesus. How's your confidence in God? Paul's deep-seated joy that comes out within this passage and throughout the rest of Philippians comes out of his deep confidence in his God who's got it all. Paul understands that God had his past, his present and his future. And then all of that is centred on who Jesus is and exalting and magnifying him. I pray that that will be us. That we will know that and experience and that the Spirit will encourage us in that. And that you and I will go out from here into the world, into those divine appointments, having that confidence in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a, what a wonderful passage. There's so much in that passage, Lord, but uh, we thank you, Lord, for Paul and for him writing it and recording it and you, Lord, working through him to bring your word to us within that, Lord. Heavenly Father, uh, we... Oh, we ask for forgiveness, Lord, for not having that confidence in you. Lord, we repent of that now. Father, we haven't lived that way. We haven't felt that way. We've wanted to stick that foot out at the back and just trust ourselves. Lord, help us to hold that foot in and trust you in all of it. Help us to rest in you, Lord. Having the confidence that you've had our past, our present and our future and you've got all of it, Lord. And all of it is for the glory of you and for the proclamation of Jesus so that we'll grow in our love for Jesus and we'll enable others and help others to do the same. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness and we pray that by your Holy Spirit, as your Holy Spirit replies your word into our lives, Lord, that we will be people who will have complete confidence in you and live lives of complete confidence in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.